0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Risk with Dr. Naveen Agarwal, where each week we talk about a topic related to risk management of medical devices. I'm your host, Naveen Agarwal, principal and founder at Achieve, where my personal mission is to help you achieve success in risk management. In this episode, I'm joined by Rick Rios, who has over 20 years of experience in the medical device industry and auditing quality management systems. We talk about audits and the best practices related to audits and how you can examine the risk management system as part of a quality management system audit. We talked about this topic as part of a LinkedIn live audio event in front of a live audience. You're about to hear a recording of our conversation. So sit back Relax and enjoy
1: the show, Rick. Welcome again. Well, thank you. Welcome everyone, and thank you for joining us today and for participating in this uh, conversation. And it's going to be a conversation, basically, uh, a little bit by myself. I'll tell you the good stuff first. Okay, uh, I've been happily married for forty years to the same wonderful woman. We have four adult children, three girls and a man child, uh, and uh, I have nine grandchildren, uh, five. Uh, Girls and four boys, uh, ranging the oldest is 14 and the youngest is uh, under one, maybe. Wow. Yeah, it's under one. Wow. Uh, and and um, we live, uh, our family is pretty tight. We do a lot of stuff, activities together. My wife and I uh, felt that our life's work complicated enough, as it is with work and family and stuff, that on February 8th, we cut a puppy. <laughs> 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 and that is thrown. Of red, So I did, I did, uh, I agreed to the puppy. I wanted a dog, but I didn't do a, my risk impact analysis was not very good. <laughs> well, wow. You know, we learned, we learned as we <laughs> go. So, it, we learned as we go. So none my FME, not work. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> and so, um, career wise, though, uh, I'm a degree engineer. Uh, I started my uh, career in the nuclear weapons arena. Uh, worked in that field for, for the department of energy and uh there's a way I don't know if you guys are aware of us but uh, all major countries have a weapons complex uh nuclear and in the case I was in nuclear weapons which was highly regulated and uh at the time that I fresh out of college I was uh, allowed to in that time uh they had like a, a an internal an internal intern system in place where um, my the hiring manager asked me, "What do you want to do, Rick?" And he laid all these titles in front of me: task, quality, uh, regulatory, production, and, uh, and he said, "Which one do you want to do?" And I, and I was looking at that, and I was fresh out of college. My eyes were wide open, deer in the headlights. Look, I said, Hack. "And I said, you know what? I have no idea. I wouldn't do them all." <laughs> and he said, "Good, because they just started a systems engineer program, basically." And so I became a systems engineer who's seeing a lot of stuff and things. And uh, a lot of my stuff was in the um, in the production arena, and I got to travel with the weapons complex. But I did notice something that the quality assurance people um, carried a big club back then, and QA was a little difficult, was a little, much more, uh, I don't know what I, don't, I exactly said, but they, they carried a club. Uh-huh. And so I was getting whacked all the time by the QA folks because things weren't working well and and fixing stuff and um, and then through the process uh, at that time, time total quality management was starting. I don't know if you guys remember the TQM process. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I went to a uh, a training session and I fell in love with the idea of total quality management and quality for improvement and stuff. And so I was recruited to the dark side. So I joined the Arc side, the quality regulatory commun- community, and I've been in that community for, so, so Rick, for most did of you, my career. Did you get a club? No, I decided, <laughs> I, I, I didn't like the idea of the club, Good. but I liked the idea of being to help people. Awesome. And uh, I was I was trying to uh, be honest. With you, I was uh, I was paddling upstream without a club during my early career, and uh, but I felt it was we have to treat people correctly. And, yeah. Um, it's. Back then, it was like, you know, it, it's not the it, it was it's the process, not the person. But back then, it was the person, not the process. <laughs> and so that that mentality had to change. So, I have worked also in uh, the auto sector, the tele- telecommunications sector, uh, aerospace sector. In um, I say work, I started my own company, and I uh, worked and audited and moved through different. Uh, sectors of the industries that I covered and ended up in medical device industry uh-huh. which I've been in this industry for over oh, 15 years now mm-hmm.
0: great and you have done a lot of uh, audits right for the last 15 20 yeah, years we
1: have done a, I've done a lot of audits uh Gap assessments 9001 uh 1345 MDSAP, EUMDR. I've done all those audits I'm considered a lead auditor uh-huh. uh, I don't work for a registrar or a um, yeah, notified body. Um the travel schedule for those guys is just unreal. I thought my travel schedule was bad, but those guys' travel schedules unreal. <laughs> and uh yeah, I didn't want I don't want to do that. I Sorry. could, but I, I don't <laughs> do no, want to do
0: that. No worries. So no. as you know, so, as you know, Rick, audits are big in our industry. We do so many audits um every year. Uh so the first question I had in mind for you is how do you and you have done it for such a long time that I'm sure you are very good at it. How do you make your auditee feel at ease and comfortable? Because, you know, we, at the end of the day, we are trying to help them. And if we are in a confrontational, uh, have a confrontational tone, that's not going to go very well. So how do you manage to get the environment right?
1: I think that you have to recognize that, first of all, with right or wrong, As an external auditor, I come in with credentials, and there is a sense of nervousness with the client sometimes. I know that I will be talking to people who are forward-facing the auditors, but I know that behind them, there's a war room or a back room that's got a bunch of folks trying to stay ahead of me Uh and try to help the forward-facing. And so my idea is to come in and do what we're doing right now, have a conversation. Uh Uh, Diffuse any of the tension. And you do that through the way you ask the questions, Uh how you frame the questions, and how you phrase the questions. Uh And so, for example, you don't, I'm gonna use a base, I'm gonna use an analogy. You don't come in and ask somebody, a subject matter expert that's in front of you, and you don't come in with a direct punch to the nose with the first question. Uh Meaning that, if you do that, the defense shield will go up and you just lost the conversational piece. (laughs) <laughs> so what you want to do as an auditor, you want to throw them a, what I call let's just pretend a beach ball, and let them hit that thing and get a home run. Oh, I like that. And then they, 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 you frame the question, you know, hey, we're talking about rest. You them know, this really easy <laughs> process, right? <laughs> and then the set, uh, to, to talk about, and then you come in with a second question, and maybe it's not a beach ball, maybe it's a softball. <laughs> and then you finally get to what you want to talk about, and you throw them the fastball yeah so you don't start off with a fastball. you have this conversation. and the most friendliest word an auditor has to start the conversation is the word how hmm. how does this work? And you start let them talk <laughs> And how do it work? I have how it works because so they give me a procedure, right? <laughs> I, and I have the experience by the way, if you're if everybody's quality manager system, if your medical device is based on basically thirteen forty five or 21 CFRA, 21 CFRA twenty one CFR twenty one cFR eight twenty. So when I go from company to company, it's the same thing. <laughs> I'm seeing the same stuff. So I have a lot of experience with what they're talking about, so I don't have to even look at the procedure. I just, just listen to them to see what they're saying. <laughs> so it's more listen than talk <laughs> at the initial point.
0: And the how questions.
1: And the how questions. And the how questions and the exploratory questions are wonderful. really important. Wonderful. Hey I know
0: many of you have can- many of you are joining just now so first of all welcome to all of you today I'm having a conversation with Rick Rios who has years of industry experience in med device business as well as other industries and today we are exploring mostly the conversation about uh, audits so Rick I know that uh, you know audits generally are not specifically focused on risk management right generally not generally you're looking at the quality management system but throughout the system, risk is an element. It's present. Can you uh, share uh, uh, maybe some example of how you kind of explore this during audits and something that kind of catches your eye that makes you think, like, let me explore the angle about risk? Can you say a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, I think that that uh, for me, and I'm one auditor one opinion here, right? But for me, uh, I don't want to, when we talk about audits or risk, you don't you you can't I don't want to take out the human element. (laughs) Meaning that we are building medical devices that's going to be used on somebody that we may love or care about (laughs) or a close associate and that product has to work. (laughs) And so I treat my audit as a line of defense to the patient. (laughs) I want to make sure that the product is Safer intended use and have effective performance, and and the way we do that is ensuring sure that the applicable regulations associated with that organization in the country they're selling are being met. And so I go in with thinking as, hey, if this product is going to be used on somebody I love or care about, what would I be concerned about? And so that's one element of risk, right? Sure. And then you get to you get into the technical perspective and say, okay, what is the classification of risk? uh is this is this device well known in industry is it well-known technology uh then you would uh, and the classification so in other words if a company uh is building class one class two class three devices i'm not going to worry about the class one or class two i'm going after the class three the ones that have perceived well the higher risk in the industry <laughs> and my random sample is going to be from the class three world because if they can pass a class three audit if you will, saying that loosely that you're blessed. There's no such thing as class three, but that type of audit, you will. Uh, uh, then class one should class, right? Right, right. So, so, this the is... clas- so the classification is important.
0: So it looks like this is how you would actually prepare yourself to go into the audit, you know, prepare and read up a little bit about their products, what they might be working on. But during the audit, as you're having these conversations, uh, can you think of a situation where, like, something intrigued you from a, from their risk management practices perspective, something that said to you, hey, let me explore how they are practicing risk management to tie all these pieces together so that the devices continue to remain
1: safe and effective. So, so first of all, guys, the ISO standard 1345 defies risk in the clarification of concepts, uh, says that risk is in three categories, product safety, product performance, and not meeting the regulation. Yes, that's how they define risk in the standard. Yes, and so we're in there to go look at, primarily, not meeting the regulation. We don't look at in question data in that sense, or or the ana- how they did the analysis. We look at the results and it's got to pass common sense, right? Uh-huh. But we're looking to make sure that the processes are in place that uh, that makes sense. Now, in today's world, uh, there was a shift there's a shift occurring in terms of the audit technique that we are using. Prior to md Medical Device Single Audit Program, most audits were done, what we would say would be an element-based audit. <laughs> Meaning we would go to the standard or the requirement, do they have that, check, and then we move on to the next requirement. A higher level audit technique that is being employed now because of MD-SAP and the EUD world is something called the Risk-Based Process Approach Audit. Huh. where we're considering risk primarily first and then using it from a process perspective.
2: Oh, okay. And so,
1: matter of, fact, matter of fact, if you go to the standard, if you look at the requirement, when I say standard in this conversation, it's 1345, okay? <laughs> if you go to Section 4, Clause 4, 4.12b, it talks about risk in relationship to the quality management system processes and ask the organization to do some sort of analysis that says of the, however many process you have, 50 something process that you might have, mm-hmm. if you will, which ones have you determined to be at most risk for your organization? Got it. And that's one of the requirements. And so we as an auditors look at that requirement, or at least I do and say, okay, which one do you guys say was at most risk? And, um, and by the way, company to company, you know, there's usually anywhere from six to 10, mm-hmm. uh, Half of them are usually similar to other companies, right? The <laughs> uh, same system, and so we start there at where is the risk coming from the quality management system processes, <laughs> okay? and and so that is slightly different than say product safety, product performance, which is tied to fourteen nine seventy one ISO fourteen nine seventy one,
3: right?
1: <laughs> that is slightly different, and so we're looking at it from the process risk of the entire quality management system and its processes. The second part that you have to recognize in the audit is that the auditors are auditing to the word established or should be, right? And that means that it's got five components. the word established for definition is define, document, implement, maintain, and uh-huh. effectiveness. Uh-huh. You define and document your process correctly the quality uh-huh. system. Have you implemented the processes and are you maintaining its effectiveness? Uh-huh. The hard part is getting to effectiveness. Yes. In the audit. Yes. Yes. And so if we don't get to effectiveness, that's a risk issue now. You uh-huh. so can tie that to risk.
0: So that's how you will start building kind of your inquiry uh, around risk. Yeah, you start building your,
1: your, your confidence, right? You start building your confidence. Are the process defined and documented correctly? That's the easy mm-hmm. part, <laughs> yep. you'd hope. They say, apart from meeting the requirement, what's missing in a lot of procedures, because the procedures, your SOPs define how your processes work, is the linkages, the inputs and outputs, the connectivity. How the processes are connected. Right. One of the requirements says that one the output of one process is an input to another process. Well, okay. that has to be defined and documented somewhere. I see. And if it's not documented, then it's not effective. Right. So Great. there's so, a risk element to so it. So
0: I think it's a key point here is that you are tying you are tying your investigation of risk directly to effectiveness. So first you have to judge as an auditor whether what they are showing
1: you is an effective process Correct. or not. Is that not right? Yeah, yeah, you're trying to come up with that, and if it's not effective, what's causing it not to be effective? Got it. And then you have to determine how big a risk that is, right? Yes, yes. not not all processes are equal (laughs) in the quality management system. There are some processes that are really, really important. Risk management, for example, clinical evaluation, process validation, design control, uh, post-market surveillance, uh, those are really important to the system, and they interact with each other. So the feedback loops have to be done correctly. And when you look at it, while you might be looking at it as individual post-market surveillance, you can't ignore that that's tied to risk or tied to clinical (laughs) or vice versa. And so you have to look at it as like a subsystem almost.
0: That is fantastic. Rick, this is so, so wonderful for for you to explain this to all of us and set the stage. So guys, uh, now we are at a point where I think I would like to invite you to uh, participate in this conversation. And uh, feel free to join us. What you have to do is just uh, raise your hand virtually. And you'll be able to do that if you find that small circle next to your profile photo, three dots. And if you click on that, you can just request uh, to be invited to this virtual stage. So I I want to invite you guys and be a part of this conversation. Uh, It doesn't have to be a question. I know all of you have a lot of expertise in audits and medical device. It can be any general comment or insight. We just want it to be very conversational today. So Rika, I want to continue building our conversation. Um, You you mentioned a couple of key processes which are critical for for the quality system. Uh, Is there an example you want to share where a question about effectiveness uh, was kind of top of mind for you and how you went around uh, understanding whether the process was effective or not?
1: Yeah, so I'll give you a couple of simple examples of uh, how we look at things from an auditor's perspective so folks can uh-huh. folks can get a understanding. First of all, I know the people who are listening here are experts, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking to the experts here. So, I, you know, and so um, I'm interested to see how they, the, the comments they, they, they're going to have and the questions. So, uh, the, 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 so, first of all, an audit for me is not linear. You know, we do. We, when we say we're going to audit the quality management system, we say we're going to take a sample, right? Yeah. Of the quality management system, sample of processes. That's not a linear process. I want you to imagine it's a weave, <laughs> it's an in and out and weaving through the quality management system and checking different things because how the processes are connected. It's almost chaotic in sense, right? <laughs> it's not a straight thing. And so, the first of all, you have to recognize, okay, if it's going to be a weave. Where do I want to start the weave? <laughs> right. Where's the starting point, point? Uh, and it might not be the same starting point depending on the type of audit you have, right? <laughs> for example, I could start to weave at the IFU information for use, <laughs> which is a label. It's something that goes within the product, right? <laughs> Box, and it's a label. And in that label, it's a, you pull out this sheets of paper, and it's in the print must be it's so small it's hard to read it kind it. of thing, right? It. But you're looking for the warnings and cautions. Yes. And so you look at the warnings and cautions of that and you try to get understand what is what's, what is the cautions out there and what's a warning to get a sense of the type of risk that was not mitigated out. <laughs> right? Yep. Those are leftover risks, <laughs> if you will. Yeah. Right? Uh, that we have to look at. And then I can go from there. And I can go back to the risk management file to see what they said, and make sure those cautions and warnings are in that risk management file. Okay. And to see what other risks they mitigated. So that's one start of the weave. If we're looking at and we have issues with uh, safety issues, we would I would start at the IFU and work reverse engineer it back. Okay. To the, the quality management system. Got or, it. Or. Another way of looking at risk in the quality management system, I will pull the kappa log, right? Uh-huh. And I will pull at the kappa log and see how long the kappas, the type of kappas, and see how long the kappas are taking to be resolved, uh-huh. right? Because time is now an, uh, an important factor in kappa. Uh-huh. The idea of the kappa, for example, is if there is a kappa associated with the quality management system, that really, using English, that means that something's wrong, something's broken, something's not effective within the quality management system, and they have to fix it. Got it. And if that log is greater than five months, six months, it's like a warning sign to me. It says, well, why is it taking so long? <laughs> Clearly, some things are going to take longer than others. It's capital equipment, right? But because we have a kappa then is six months or a year or longer, the, co- the risk comes from the fact is that at the initial Kappa, there was interim controls placed on, on the process to allow us to use the process while it's being repaired. In other words, they are have added additional inspection or additional controls to that process so we can use it. When you go in and ask for an extension, management or the see the Kappa board are extended, you'll say, Yeah, we'll extend the Kappa. They also have to approve and understand that and they're proving that they're also extending those interim controls, and those interim controls may not hold over a long period of time. Got it, got it, very interesting, very interesting. So so you have to look at it from that perspective. So if a capital, I look at a capital that's 18 months old, I mean, that's just like a big red flag. Yeah. And so I'm checking the interim controls and how many extensions, because if the interim controls are, the same as they were at the beginning, then I'm going to start asking questions, right? Got it. So
0: I think you are describing some signals that you can pick up from Absolutely. your early investigation. Now I see Bijan and Roger are requesting to speak. So Roger, you are on stage, uh, asking Bijan you're on stage. So go ahead first. Go ahead, please. Can you hear me?
2: Yes, I can. Go ahead. Rick, uh, hi, Rick. Uh, uh, thanks for your presentation. Um, I have a question about the auditing risk management files um in your experience uh, when you review benefit risk analysis which is at least really subjective how do you find yourself satisfied with the analysis uh, that the benefit of the device outweighs this risk so
1: super so john first of all uh, i i'm enjoying your book and it uh, I, I travel in an rv all the time that's one of my passions and it's uh, Space Limited, but your book made it into the white space.
2: <laughs> <Well>, I'm honored. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh,
1: so, uh, so this is, this is something that, that's not talked about a lot in, it, in the audit world, and it's not black and white. It's great. And so, during the audit, we are trying to build confidence in the quality management system, that people understand the complexity, people understand what's going on, they understand systems thinking, and that kind of stuff. So part of the risk management is, is while well, we're looking at the file, which is hard evidence, if you will, we're also interviewing people. And if the people can't explain the file correctly to you or are not, are not quite sure how to answer some of the questions, then no matter what the file says, I'm having problems with here because that's audit evidence says, wait a minute, why aren't these folks understanding what they're actually putting down on paper, right? So that's one one aspect, this idea of I not only have to look at it from the documentation, from audit events, I have to look at it from observation, and the interview questions are really, really important. Hmm. So naturally, when we get to the risk management file, part of that risk management file uh, that we check is going to have a plan and report. So we go after that, those two things in that. In addition to that, Bijan, what we do is that we look. Or at least I look at that risk management file. It's not a static document or file, right? Over a period of time, they have to somewhere define a document when they're going to review the file for correctness or for completeness, right? Because <laughs> right. It, it's the, the product is maturing. Same thing with clinical evaluation, and and uh, the, those are plans and reports that are dynamic. And so I'm looking to see the period of time that they're going to do the reviews, and more importantly, who get the reviews, right? So you then have, can go to the training perspective of it, Are they have the right competence, you know. And, and by the way, the the standard says competence, but if you go click on that word competence, it takes you to the dictionary of the ISO world, 9,000, 2015. Uh, it says applied competence, you should be able to apply it. Yeah. So now that gives you leeway from a question and asking the questions right in, in a way that makes sense so what you are saying Rick that's is a, that that's if, a, that's a setup for going into the risk management so they ahead.
0: should be able to explain benefit risk in a way that sure. anyone can understand not what they have written right it should make and, sense and by the way
1: and and uh, there was a topic in one of your things Naveen that somebody wrote about the idea of looking at clinical benefit and uh that's a big important thing first of all obviously benefit has got to be greater than risk right yeah that's the idea that's the concept but when we talk about benefit we also have to talk about clinical benefit yes so now here's the here's the here's the thought if i'm talking about clinical benefit then and that team that did that there better be clinicians right the fact that you have an engineer doing risk management, you have production person, you have a quality regulatory, and they're talking about clinical risk and clinical benefit, and none of them have that type of background, then that's a
0: huge risk. Ah, uh, so you will be you will be kind of skeptical about what they are telling Absolutely.
1: you.
0: Got Absolutely, got it. Absolutely, got it. So I mean, and then probably you also want to see how. It has evolved. Like, that's the point you were trying to make, and I want to emphasize yeah, it for so everybody. Over time, how has it changed so that you can see what updates they have made to their risk management file? Right.
1: Got and it. so here's, uh, Bijan, the, the risk management file, the the most important thing, concept from risk that comes out, well, you have to, have to do that. But one of the concepts that comes out is this idea of the fact that we have this IFU and we have these residual risks or leftover risks that are being cautions and warnings, right? But right. we're also worried about this idea or concept of emerging risk, right? Uh-huh. now the risk from a quality management system to help us understand emerging risk comes from the fact is how we are looking at complaint data uh, in the post market surveillance perspective. So complaint data, and I don't like the word to use complaint data. I think we're it's a misnomer it should be called clinical experience with our device. Interesting. That's what it is. It should be clinical experience. In, and so we should be looking at that differently. And the other thing that comes with complaint data or clinical experience is that it's coming in with the voice of the customer attached to it, which means it's going to be qualitative in nature. And we have to have some sort of algorithm to turn it into quantitative so we can do, the, do some sort of analysis, right? So yeah. We, we have to the, how, and so when we go out there and do surveys, or we go and, and we talk to people, uh, people who are using our devices, we have to ask the question in such a way that we can convert it from qualitative to quantitative so we can do the analysis. And that's the hard part, and then there's where the risk occurs, because we might not, we might be getting all this complete data, but it's not translated to, we can't use it <laughs> wow, from an emerging risk perspective. I mean, I have so many ideas
0: now Popping in and out of my head right now. This is this is wonderful, and I love this. So uh, we can talk a lot more about this, guys. And as I have always said in the past, you know, we will explore these topics in more detail. Uh, so, Roger, I know you have been waiting patiently, so I want to invite you
3: now to share what you have in mind. Okay, hey, first, hello, Rick, and I can't believe how much I'm enjoying a conversation about audits.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> hey, we're fun people, man. Uh, yeah, <laughs> he, you know, or you are. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's my question. When you mentioned cap Kappa that touched the nerve, you've yes. seen a lot of Kappa systems, a lot of companies that you've been in. my my question is it just to bounce it off my ideas, are what do you see is the main root cause of many companies Kappa's being open for so long?
1: They can't find the root cause. They're not they don't have the right tool. They're not using the right tool. Or they're not. You don't have the right people on the on the project. Uh, and then the other thing is is the fact that you're going to need somebody that can think outside the box. In other words, can't be the same. So so in other words, uh, we have the left brain right brain thing. Right, bring some people who are creative into the process. And okay. and a lot of times, a lot of times also Roger is the fact that we don't have clinicians involved mm-hmm. because because that's the important part. If it's relating to a kappa that's outside the manufacturing world is being a capital that, a recall, for example, or an, or, or an adverse event, clearly you have to have clinicians involved. Right? Because that's clinical experience, happening outside your walls. If it's within production, it's going to be used in a clinical setting, you still need them, but you can probably get away with the more easily with the, those folks in that uh, Yeah, I think it's because we don't understand the problem, uh, or we don't have the right tools, or rather have the right competencies for these capital being Uh, taking so long now there's a subset in there roger that requires capital equipment right and i understand that so i don't mess with that and they're using it and they have to buy something the process of buying something takes forever Uh right could take forever so you have to there's you have to give consideration and understand the the entire picture before you start hammering on anybody on that
3: okay yeah i understand that and i was actually from some of my personal experience having worked in companies with with lots of kappas or kappas that can't be closed i would from my experience that there's been uh many many kappas open that were not kappa worthy yeah <laughs> because of a company culture
1: <laughs> yeah so. and i think that's a big issue in some companies company culture and the fact that you go in and you see they got a gazillion kappas open that just tells you that their their kappa is being process is being abused and some of those capas should not be capas right? To be a simple correction, and they they're, they're bogging the system, or they're not separating the preventive actions outside that. That's right, other issue. Fascinating. So, from
3: your just just because we talked about it, and just because I'd like to know, do you see much of that? Where do you see many companies that have lots and lots of Kappas open that, in your experience, uh, should never have been capas in the first place?
1: Uh Yes, uh, and that is. Well, there's a risk associated with it, Roger. The bigger risk is companies who are adverse to cappas That's the bigger <laughs> risk. I've been to audits and people pushing. So, so just to be transparent, when I get hired to do an audit, I usually come in to scrub their system prior to having an external auditor to come in like uh, a regulatory or an FDA or a notified body. They're trying to they say they're trying to go from, get to md or EMDR. I get hired to scrub the system to make sure they can pass the audit. And in those conversations, I get a lot of pushback because kappa is a bad thing. Uh they get demoted or they get uh whacked with a club because they have a kappa and or the work is just too hard. Those are the ones that scare me the most because uh that they want to circumvent that process. Well, Kappa does indicate that you have an issue, it's also an improvement aspect. The it's it the where it lands in standard, it's just improvement. <laughs> And a lot of folks, based on culture and the way management treats it, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. That's the scary part. Awesome. So
0: I know Ed is uh, also requesting to speak. Ed, uh, welcome. And again, please share what you have in mind.
2: Uh, hi, Ed. Hi, Rick. How you doing? Uh, good, good. Th- to follow on with your statement there, um, the the uh, uh, people that um, now I lost my train of thought, um, that we were, uh, oh gosh,
1: we were talking well, about the had... kappa, the risk of kappa.
2: Yeah, uh, that that um, people don't, um, uh, as you said earlier, establish the the uh, kappas correctly because um, as the FDA is moving to the the new uh, regulation, uh, we're going to be talking more about. Um, the risk-based kappa, which means that you have to de- determine uh, the priority based upon risk. And there's a lot of things, as we were saying, that are placed in to kappa that there's no way they belong there. And that's going to come up, I think, more uh, as uh, as FDA um, moves to 13485, because uh, I think you're mentioning that that, uh, you're doing a lot of 1345 audits, and and those are different, and FDA uh, investigators are going to have to be trained um, on how to approach things differently than the old uh, QSIT model. In fact, I think they're working on a new uh, QSIT manual right now uh, and a uh, training process uh, for their investigators to uh, change their approach here. So... We've got a You're lot really to right learn. On that. Yeah. Got a lot You're to write on that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So a lot of things coming up, and uh, it's going to be an exciting time for us. Guys, as always, time flies. This has been just wonderful. And I want to thank uh, Rick, Roger, Bijan, and Ed for participating in this. I appreciate it. I learned a lot of stuff. So many ideas already on my mind. I have taken notes on my paper here and we'll be exploring some of these topics in more detail in the future. So before we close, I want to just tell you guys a few housekeeping things. Um, Next week, I have actually two industry professionals, very experienced industry professionals who have done risk management hands-on, and I'm looking forward to that uh, conversation with them. Announcement will go out soon. Please show up um, like you always do. If you miss it, I want to remind you that I do record these sessions and share with you in an article on my newsletter. You can find the link to my newsletter on my profile page in LinkedIn. The first link in the featured section will bring you to my newsletter. Consider subscribing so you can receive these recordings. Third thing I wanna tell you, many people have asked me, how can I add this event on my calendar? And uh, believe it or not, I did not know this until now, but someone pointed out that as you go in the event, on LinkedIn event page. On the top right, there is actually a drop down which says add to calendar. You can add it to your Google Calendar, Outlook Calendar, and you can do that. So this way you will be able to come to this event next week. But even if you don't put it on your calendar, know that every Friday we are going to meet at 11 AM Eastern. This is going to be a weekly event, and I love doing it. I love having you participate and engage with me. With that, I want to thank all of you guys again. Once again, Rick, thank you so much for sharing sharing your insights. And uh, You're welcome. You know, we'll follow up maybe with a more detailed conversation on this. Bijan, Roger, Ed, appreciate again very much you coming up on stage and contributing to the discussion. With that, guys, uh, all of you have a good weekend ahead, and we will connect
2: once again next week. Bye bye. Thank you, folks. Bye bye, everybody. Great. Rick, thank you. You're welcome.